Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, and the Bauer and Rose Podcast, hosted by our good friends at JustTheNews.com, available wherever you get your podcasts. Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. Make sure and hit the subscribe button wherever you do listen so you won't miss a show. All right, Bauer, here's, here's the question. I get the sense that and for lack of a better term, we'll just call them the deep state, that we, or you call them the uniparty, that the uniparty now has in its sights the dual objective of preventing either Biden and or Trump from being the nominees of their respective parties, and as a result are now playing a very dangerous game in this instance to get Mike Pence out of the race. Why do I say that? We've gotten signals these past couple of days that... We being who? I don't know. Just, we, just people generally. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were speaking for the Mike Pence operation. I, I do not speak for the Mike Pence operation. If I did, I would be speaking with a forked tongue. Because- that, was not a, that was not an accusation. <laughs> it's just I just wanted for our vast listening audience to clarify, because as we all know... You, you, you've been uh, a good friend, colleague uh, with the former vice president uh, for for many years. He's I, next I to Gary Bauer, him, probably Mike. Yes, closest I consider him a personal yeah. friend. I helped campaign for him the first time he ran for Congress. That's why he lost. Uh, we don't always agree on everything, <laughs> um, but uh, but at any rate. So well, no, I, I, I'm simply saying, and and I will I'll just lay the predicate out and then let you run with it. That we're, that we're getting messages from leading officials, both currently in the administration and those who are now outside, like this Corey Cordero, who is uh, an assistant uh, on the advisory board of DHS, who has extensive national security experience uh, with counterintelligence operations with the Justice Department. Uh, she's a She's an Obamaoid. She's on television talking about how if Pence gets in the race, then he'll have to face prosecution. In other words, my sense is that the establishment doesn't want Pence to run. So they're threatening him with prosecution if he decides to run in order to appear, quote unquote, fair, because there are special counsels now dedicated to investigating President Trump and dedicated to investigating President Biden, and that if he doesn't run, he won't be prosecuted. Why are they doing this? Because they think that if Pence gets in the race, uh, it will help Donald Trump. Why will it help Donald Trump? And I don't know if their political calculus is correct, but they think that the more Republicans in the race, the worse it is from their perspective because the better it is for President Trump. So what they want is a single candidate to run against Trump. And if there are many, and if Pence gets 10%, 15%, whatever the number is originally, that, that those votes will not go to Trump. They'll go to whoever is left standing. And that's why you see a lot of the Trump people, this is my impression, that the Trump people who normally would be pushing back against Mike Pence, um, what they don't tell you is that they now want Pence to run for precisely the same reason, because they think if he does run, it'll help Trump. Holy cow, that sounds like one huge, dare I say it, conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to unpack What's, there, Tom. What is Steve Bannon's line about conspiracies? Um, there are no conspiracies, but there are also no coincidences. Yeah, uh, well, you know, I've uh, we hear so much these days about conspiracy theories. I keep wanting to remind people that 
the United States was started by a conspiracy theory. I mean, the Minutemen, the founding fathers, uh, they were uh, all uh, promoting the idea. And there was certainly a, a big uh, dose of truth in the whole thing that uh, our, our rights as colonialists were being taken away by uh, the king and company in, in uh, Britain and that we needed to become our own country and uh, all the rest of it. And they were they were roundly condemned by a lot of the the people of the, of the early colonies as promoting things that were divisive and hateful. And, you know, what kind of conspiracies are these? We're British citizens, et cetera. So, you know, one man's conspiracy theory is another man's truth, I think, is the bottom line. And we've sadly learned that almost everything labeled a conspiracy theory during COVID ended up being true. And everything that we were told was true about COVID, the vaccine, where it originated from, all ended up being a conspiracy theory. Uh, Tom, I have to admit, I am more discombobulated right now trying to figure out whose axe is being grind in various parts of, of the headlines that we're seeing. I, I mean, I heard uh, this morning... Senator Warner of Virginia uh, looking legitimately angry because uh, he could not get straight answers from the Biden administration about exactly what documents Biden had possession of and what were the risks to national security from those documents being outside the control of the appropriate people. And Warner, with Rubio standing next to him and a little behind him, because Rubio is merely the, the ranking Republican on, on the committee, uh, Warner, the top uh, Democrat on the committee, the chairman of the committee, he was mad. And I'm trying to think, well, wait a minute, does does he not want Joe Biden to run for reelection? Is Warner one of the group that's got somebody else waiting in the in the wings? Or are these people all afraid that afraid of what? That it will become so evident that the president, President Biden, is uh, is becoming more and more mentally challenged. Um, I, I, you know, it's just hard. to. It seems like there's a a 3D version of chess being played here, and it's hard to sort out. I have heard your suggestion um, a couple of times in the last 24 hours that uh, there are powerful forces that don't want uh, uh, Mike Pence to throw his hat in the ring for the Republican presidential nominee. And I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, I, I guess that's possible uh, that that that's what's behind some of this. They hate Trump uh, so much. They despise Trump so much that they're trying to clear the. This is my belief. They're trying to clear the field of anyone but one. They, I don't know that they really care who the one is. They want a head-to-head Republican primary, which is ridiculous. A head-to-head Republican primary where it's. Trump versus no Trump. And they think the more people that are in the race, the greater advantage or benefit that would be to Trump, which is why you've got this. It's, it's, it's extortion, Gary. They're actually on television, bare bones, threatening Pence with prosecution on his classified document discovery if he announces for president in order to quote unquote keep it fair because there's a special counsel a criminal investigation of uh, trump and we don't know the status of the special counsel investigation against biden because biden's a good guy but you know anymore gary if you told me this 10 15 years ago i'd roll my eyes and uh, head to the next t on the course I, i don't i don't put anything past these people now i really don't well, look, I, I mean, we're certainly on the same page on, on that. Look, Tom, here's one of the chinks in the, in the narrative that, that you have. Uh, but this this um, contradiction is there all the time, and I haven't been able to figure it out. We are constantly told by the uh, elites of the Republican Party that the one sure way of losing in 2024 is to nominate Donald Trump. And we are told by the Democrats uh, all the time that Donald Trump is uh, despised. He nobody takes him seriously. He's uh, he's so far outside of the mainstream of the American people. Uh, you know, he will be clobbered if he runs for. All. Well, if all that is true, why are so many powerful 
of forces in America so afraid that the Republicans will renominate Donald Trump if exactly. it's so obvious that he's going to lose. Exactly. You would think they would be doing what Democrats typically do, and that is using underhanded, almost coercive methods to support Trump, like they did during all these Republican primaries this past season, where they spent, what, tens of millions of dollars promoting candidates that they argued were a threat to democracy. So, uh, Tom, add on to this whole conspiracy conversation. What in the world explains, in the middle of everything that's going on, that suddenly Meta... Uh, also known as Facebook, uh, decides that they're going to end their two-year uh, ban on, on Donald Trump and allow him back on the platform just as we're going into the two-year cycle that will end with the election of uh, another president of the United States. I, I heard that announcement uh, late yesterday, and I was, I was shocked. Uh, the only thing I came up with is that they, they can sense on the Hill there are a lot of angry people. That's right. The Republicans media. won the House, so now they're yeah. worried about – right. Yeah. I agree with so, that. So, um, uh, Tom, what – without violating any, um, you know, any confidential information, what's the mood in, in, uh, in Pence world – uh, about all this. And let me just quickly say um, that there are now four major figures that have uh, been that that we appear that have appeared to have mishandled either inadvertently or otherwise classified material. I say four because one person has got off scot free and she runs around critiquing the other three, and that's a little lady named Hillary, who, while she was Secretary of State, was mishandling classified material. Purposely. It, mishandling implies – I don't mean to interject, but it is always fun. Mishandling implies it's negligent. That wasn't yeah. mishandling. That no. was purposely uh, designed to assist her private endeavors. And, and when uh, the story began to break – she engaged in conduct that in a court of law is brought up for proof that a crime has been committed. She attempted to literally destroy computers, records, all sorts of things while she was saying, this is ridiculous. Nothing. I was not you know, mishandling anything. There were no raids on her houses. Nobody busted down the doors and, you know, whatever that place is in upstate New York. Uh, you had the FBI investigate and go, well, yeah, but, it, you know, this would never, uh, be, you know, be uh, lead to a conviction in a court of law. So she's the number one, right? The, the, the second person was this effort to, to get Trump by this raid in the middle of the ongoing negotiations between him and uh, the um, uh, the federal government over the disposal of the documents that he had. And, and, and you know, they clearly thought and, and all the media thought this was the chance to destroy Trump once and for all. Not only our, our listeners will probably remember, because I think our listeners are the smartest people out there. They'll remember that not only was there this raid, not only did they humiliate Trump by going through his wife's uh, um, you know, closet. They, you know, they did all kinds of just unbelievable things. Turned the but security it, cameras off, refused right. access to his counsel, showed up unannounced, despite the fact that they were in active negotiations with both the archives and the Justice Department. They go ahead. I mean, well, in the next uh, week to 10 days, every day, in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, and other deep state friendly media outlets, there would be a news story about what was in the documents. Well, there were nuclear secrets in the documents. These were things that Trump may have been thinking that he was going to sell to Putin, you know, back to the Russian collusion theory, right? All of it, horse poopy. None of it, it was all made up by people that just threw it out there in the Post. And New York Times and others, without any proof, repeated the story. And what you had was the equivalent of a multi-million dollar campaign to destroy Donald Trump 
while at the same time he was incredibly limited in his ability to respond to these charges because he had been banned from all these social media platforms. So then, shock of all shocks, you get this story about Biden. We're finding out he's had he's been mishandling classified documents all the way back from when he was in the Senate. That's and what that, did, I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say that was what was so odd about this is that, wait a minute, you know, are do do these powers that are in the deep state now, they want to take down Trump and they want to take down uh, Biden because they've got Gavin Newsom in the wings or uh, who who is it that they think they're going to be able to control or they have already got information on that they can control and keep in line and keep us moving down the road to globalism, a loss of American sovereignty, no borders, changing the makeup of America, all the rest of it that is clearly happening right in front of our eyes. You touched upon what I think needs to be the next big break in the story, and of course it won't be. And that is the revelation that uh, President Biden, as a senator, <clears throat> had classified documents. Now, you know the way Capitol Hill works uh, a lot better than I do. SCIFs, which are these secure compartmentalized uh, intelligence facilities. That is, in other words... A skiff is a room in the Capitol where you go downstairs. In the White House, it's different because the entire um, office area of the White House is considered a skiff where you can view classified documents. So it's easier, quote unquote, to mishandle classified documents in the White House than it would be in the Senate. The only person who can answer the question how these documents were removed from the skiff in the Capitol from the Senate would be sloppy Joe Biden himself. You can't walk out of that room with documents unless you're Sandy Burglar and hide them in your underwear or in your socks. Now, the University of Delaware is where these Senate records are being kept. There's a grand jury, Mark Levin made this point on his radio show the other night. There's a grand jury investigate, a grand jury that's currently sitting investigating Trump and investigators knew where the documents they were negotiating with with the National Archives, they knew where they were. There was no obstruction. That's a big lie. The FBI could have taken those documents any time they wanted. Biden had them all over the place. God knows where he had them. Only he can tell us how those Senate documents ended up in his possession. Now, Merrick Garland, here's the thing that the media is missing. Merrick Garland now has more than enough uh, runway here to appoint a special counsel to investigate the Biden family itself, the Biden crime family itself. It's like pulling that that magic string. Once they start pulling the rope, once they start pulling that string, they know that where it's going to end is not going to be well. This is a big time cover up we got going on. And, you know, we look at all these pictures of his homes and his and his and his houses and his collectors Corvettes. And you wonder, how did this guy who's dumb as a box of rocks Lunch Bucket Joe gets so rich. Yeah, well, I think we know, and and, uh, his name is Xi, uh, the the head of communist China. You you know, Tommy, you probably have noticed this, that Biden has said this same sentence over and over again. Everybody knows, he says, I take classified documents seriously. The only thing wrong with that sentence is the word seriously, (laughs) because then you've got the truth. Joe Biden, everybody knows I take classified documents. <laughs> that, that, that is clear, Joe, and you, you know, we, we now don't need any more clarification on that. Tom, now you just touched on something that I, I think is very important for people to focus on. When the attorney general announced the special counsel, some uh, commentators and observers said, wow, uh, this is a sign of the attorney general uh, worried about his reputation. He wants to make it absolutely clear that the Justice Department has not been politicized. He even appointed a Trump appointee to do the investigation. We know how ridiculous that is because the guy was anti-Trump administration. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but anyway, there, there were a lot of accolades. Oh, my goodness. The attorney general was actually acting like – an independent attorney general. Wrong, folks. What you're seeing is a brazen cover-up. The, the, the special counsel 
gives them the ability now at the White House, every time they're asked the question about the documents, to say, uh, you're asking about an ongoing investigation. I, I will not answer that question. You need to uh, take your inquiries to the Department of Justice. Well, you go to the Department of Justice and they go, we don't comment on ongoing investigations. So this is just an ongoing cover-up. And Tom, a little earlier, I, I mentioned Senator Warner. He was furious about that because they were apparently talking to a representative of uh, the Biden administration yesterday. I don't. I, it might have been in an actual closed-door hearing. And this Whoever it was, the head of the DHDNI or whatever it was, whoever it was, was telling them, I- I'm sorry, I can't tell you what's in the classified documents because it's part of an ongoing investigation. So he was citing the same excuse, and the Democrat senator from Virginia was saying, this will not stand. You cannot refuse to answer questions to the United States posed by the United States Congress as part of our oversight responsibility about things impacting the United States national security by citing the fact that there's a special counsel looking at these items. So, man, I don't know what's going to come down the pike, uh, Tom, but I I was asked the other day, you know, right now, Gary, tell me who's going to be president in 2024. And my answer was, obviously, I have no idea. But I can say this with certainty, that who, whoever is elected president will be elected in great part because of headlines we have not yet seen. That they're, with everything we know, with all the stuff, the baggage people do have, baggage they don't have, the personalities, the histories, all the rest of it, there are headlines coming at us in the next 18 months that it would take an actual profit to know. And those headlines are likely to be more determinative of who the next president is than anything that has happened up to now. I mean, the, the, the problem here is the double standard. Trump is treated one way as a dangerous criminal defendant, reckless, careless with, with, with the most secret government documents. Everyone else is treated the other way, do people not have a memory anymore? Remember that you know, Trump was treated, this was a, a national circus of a story for, for, for 10 days. And now that Biden's hit with more serious allegations, the narrative is it's the everybody does it excuse. While Trump gets hit with this massive federal criminal investigation, Remember when they said that, that Trump couldn't declassify documents? Uh, now they say that Vice President Biden could Man. declassify. I mean, that was only two months ago. Do they not remember their own, or is it this Orwellian attempt to simply uh, repaint facts? Uh, Winston Smith in 1984, his job was to rewrite the headlines from the past, to rewrite the news stories from the past, so as to change the entire scope of, of understanding of an issue. Yeah, no, Tom, look, they, they count on the fact that, that for most Americans, uh, life is not sitting around focusing on Washington, D.C. and reading court opinions and, you know, delving into the details of how, how a bill becomes law and all the rest of it. Most people are walking around trying to figure out how to pay their mortgage, how to put their kids through school, who's going to win the Super Bowl, Super Bowl, uh, you know, all these things. And they do count uh, when it comes to matters revolving around this city, Washington, D.C., on a certain amount of natural amnesia. You, you know, now we're, we're is it is it amnesia or is this an Orwellian attempt to rewrite the past? That's oh, no, my look, question. Yeah, no, they they do try to rewrite the past, and they succeed in doing it. But but it's easier to do. I see what you're saying. Given that some you know people have a hard time remembering sure. that what what happened in you know that, right geez. that was six eight weeks ago. Now, look, the president can declassify documents, and he can classify declassify them at will because he's head of the executive branch. That's clearly in the Constitution. The vice president is not the head of the executive branch. He cannot unilaterally declassify documents. The evidence that this is Trump's argument 
I think it's pretty sound. The evidence that none of the documents at Mar-a-Lago were quote-unquote classified was because they left the White House when Trump was president. Ergo, the very fact that they left the White House means that they were declassified. Yeah, the very act of taking them is an act of declassification. I know people think we're playing word games or, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. But it isn't ridiculous. Uh, you know, a, a president of the United States has access to everything. And he can decide whether anybody or everybody else can have access to the same stuff. Now, if he happens to um, decide that things that are really important to America's national security uh, can be released and seen by the general public or by other people, the answer to that is to defeat him in the next election. Or if he's not going to, there's not going to be another election where uh, an individual is involved. The answer to that, the answer to what he's done is, uh, unless he sells them to foreign enemies or something, the answer to what he's done is the judgment of history. Anybody, any president, former president that released things that hurts American security by exercising his right to declassify things when he was in the White House will be judged very badly by any history written by historians that don't hate America, you know, <laughs> which is a smaller and smaller group of people, I admit. Uh, so, yeah, no, a president, you know, there, there are, I don't think the average person gets this, Tom. There are thousands, thousands, thousands of people in Washington that can handle classified documents, that in some cases can classify documents, uh, and certainly the, they, they can declassify documents somebody below them has classified, but what they can't classify is, above, is, is what's been, or declassify, is what's above them. So you go up that tree, and who's that up there at the top? That's the President of the United States, and he can classify anything and everything. So, uh, Tom, to clarify a, a little bit for us, the, the documents we're talking about here, you know, we're, we're totally speculating on Biden, but, but we do know that some of them apply to Ukraine and, and to— That's the uh, key question. Yeah, and China and— Whether those documents were used, are being used, by any member of the Biden crime family to enrich that organization. That's the key point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, specifically, were, were documents left in places that Hunter Biden had complete access to and, and the president obviously knew that his son had complete access to so that by previous arrangement, Hunter could go read the documents and use the information as he won these big contracts multi-million con dollar contracts with uh, an American enemy and with Ukraine that has been a cesspool of corruption for decades and decades. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here that, that that's exactly what happened. And if it did, this is big. This is that's big why stuff. that's why Garland is so hesitant, so resistant to appoint a broader special counsel to look into these pay-to-play allegations, these, um, what's the term, uh, uh, these personal enrichment allegations, yeah. yes. influence peddling. we got to take a break. we got to take a break. Okay. We're going to take a break. This is the Bauer and Rose Show on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back, everybody. Tom Rose, Gary Bauer with you right here on the Bauer and Rose Show, Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125, as well as the Bauer and Rose. 
Bauer and Rose podcast that can be heard wherever you get your podcasts, hosted and sponsored by our good friends at justthenews.com. I'm going to scratch my Israel itch for one second because I think it'll help folks understand here the dangers of a totally unaccountable uh, branch of government. The Israeli Supreme Court is this just, it's a nightmare institution. It has been for decades. Earlier this week, last week, the Israeli Supreme Court ruled that one of Benjamin Netanyahu's cabinet ministers <clears throat> should be fired because uh, they thought he was corrupt. This is a guy, Aryeh Derry, who leads the Shas party, which is this Orthodox party that represents poor uh, Middle Eastern Jews of Middle Eastern extraction. It's a very it's a lower middle class party, very popular with them. In the 1990s, he was convicted of tax fraud. Um, he has been in politics for 30 years. There's no law against him serving in the government. The electorate knew all about this. He's been a uh, a household name for 30 years, and the Supreme Court simply says, based on nothing that Netanyahu has to fire him, which Netanyahu unfortunately did a couple of days later. They'll figure something out. But there was no legal basis, no statutory basis. The court itself is not accountable to parliament. They're not appointed by... They appoint themselves for crying out loud. They actually pick their own successors. And And people are supposed to be smart. (laughs) (laughs) No, but this is... This is... You hear all these uh, so-called democracy advocates in this country saying that Benjamin Netanyahu is threatening the rule of law in Israel and he's threatening democracy in Israel. He ran, Gary, one of his central platforms was to reform the Supreme Court, to make it accountable. And he's being portrayed as, um, you know, this anti-Democrat who is uh, the, the, the Jewish version of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, Tom, uh, I, I mean, at the risk of of sounding like we're kind of crazy, uh, <laughs> it's never stopped me before, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll bring it up again. Look, there is a worldwide struggle going on, particularly in the Western nations of the world, nations that we've normally thought of as free nations, and powerful forces in government, in business, um, social media, all kinds, you know, and academe, et cetera, want to, I think it's just absolutely clear, want to move towards some sort of world government in which all important decisions that a human being makes in life, where to live, uh, what to eat, uh, how to power their home, um, what they can read, what they can say, uh, what is permissible uh, as far as uh, religion goes, all these things that are fundamental to being free men and women, they want all of those regulated in a way that I think if people understood, you would have revolts all over the world. The, on the other side, there are sort of, for lack of a better phrase, populist conservative forces that uh you know Trump was a symptom of um th- th- there's uh the you know some of the countries Hungary has has a government that fits into that category Brazil did for a while they just defeated that populist government and replaced it with a far leftist and the supreme court in Brazil is the supreme court not the social media companies is banning uh, conservatives, including conservatives in government from social media platforms, doing it by fiat. And everybody here in Washington, D.C. is excited about that. Happy. The Supreme Court of Brazil is saving democracy by banning conservatives from being able to talk. The people, the leftists, the globalists here in Washington, they're happy that the Supreme Court of Illinois, I mean, of Israel, they're happy that the Supreme Court of Israel has thrown a monkey wrench into the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, Tom, these same folks were very happy when the U.S. Supreme Court was changing 
America by fiat for decades. Now we have a conservative majority. We turned that conservative majority turned the issue of abortion over to the people to decide in each state. In other words, a very pro democracy decision instead of it being decided for and the globalists and the leftists here went crazy at the U.S. Supreme Court and called it a threat to democracy. Banged on the door, tried to break in. It was a riot. Yeah. So they they will change on a dime. They they love whatever branch of government is doing their bidding. When that branch of government ceases to do their bidding, then they hate that branch of government, and it's a threat to democracy. This struggle is going on. It is the most important struggle uh, facing the entire world. And Tom, I, you know, I take a backseat to no one about the danger from communist China. Uh, I take a backseat to no one about the danger from North Korea. But I believe that how this, this battle, if the globalists win, uh, we lose our freedom, even if we're not occupied by a foreign enemy. Right. I mean, the central, right. The central line in American politics uh, I think is now pretty starkly drawn, and that involves the growth and power of the state. Because conservatives, the modern conservative movement, in fact, was born to shrink back the state down to its manageable, appropriate size after the Second World War, but the Cold War put a, put a premature end to this because of our defense requirements. But modern conservatism as we know it today was born as a result of this massive growth of the power of the state, starting with Woodrow Wilson and down through um, down through the Second World War. So the notion that we're, quote-unquote, you know, we're some kind of uh, fascist entity, um, fascism is all power to the state, no power to individuals. We say the opposite. We say we limit the power of the state to that which is absolutely necessary and nothing more And it's now so far out of kilter. They're telling us what kind of stoves we're allowed to cook our food with. How much water can we flush down the toilet? How much, you know, what we have to do with the drainage swells, swales in our backyard. What kind of knives we can buy to cut our chicken. It's beyond anything that anyone ever imagined. Yeah. And it's, it's on steroids and it's the, uh, it's picking up speed and at the same time, all that is happening. Every fundamental right that the, we have in the in the Bill of Rights is under vicious and, quite frankly, effective attack. The freedom of assembly, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the Second Amendment right to have a firearm to defend yourself and your family. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. So this is a, a very dangerous moment. Uh, we, we, in my view, Tom, we, it's it's way overdue to have a presidential race that revolves around this, about whether or not we are going to stop being a country built on limited government and essentially be a part of a global, globalist, socialist uh, enterprise experiment uh, it would, in which, as I said, all the important things – including the raising of our own children, is taken away from us. I mean, this uh, this is their great strength. They have been able to rig the game to such an extent Today, law and bureaucracy uh, have replaced discretion and responsibility. But freedom can only work in societies where law is less present than discretion, less present than responsibility, and... The more laws, the more bureaucracy, the more we are required to have an expert class. And the expert class is like the Roman Curia that, that, that stands between us and God. So we can't get to God th- unless we get through the bureaucrats that control our bureaucracy. Um, uh, Tom, of all the things that have happened in recent years to make me depressed, and Lord knows the, <laughs> the list is long – uh, but the one that I found most troubling and, and most uh, – the, the biggest evidence, the greatest evidence that, that the problem we're facing 
is not just America's elites. It it has seeped down to the general public. And and that is for if I if I have to summarize it, is how quickly average Americans were willing to give up their freedoms because of the COVID emergency. And, you know, we were being told that unless we did what we were told, millions of us were going to die. Of all the entities that gave up freedom quickly, the one that I found the most disturbing among all those was the church. The number of now it's one thing if a church gets together in the middle of the COVID pandemic and says, look, we got a lot of old people in the church. So, you know, we cannot risk their lives So we're going to ask everybody over a particular age to stay home and we're just going to have church for young people. Or maybe it just says, no, look, we're going to have to close. We'll do our services online. That's not what happened. What happened was governments, not just the federal government, governors, mayors said, you're not having worship services, period. And pastors ran the microphones to say, Absolutely, because we're responsible and we will do what our elected officials tell us to do. That was disgusting. It set a precedent. And I, you know, I found myself telling my fellow Christians and and, and telling pastors, look, if your freedom of religion, if our freedom of religion can be suspended in an emergency, in fact, if any and all of our freedoms can be suspended during emergencies, government will always find a new emergency. Oh, that's, look, I mean, the sophistication practiced by our self-proclaimed experts uh, comes mostly from obfuscation. Is that obfuscation? Comes mostly from that big three-syllable word that I'm unable to pronounce. (laughs) Obfuscation. It suits them because they're the experts. They understand the Byzantine bureaucracy. That's their job. So they can interpose themselves between us and our own personal responsibility, our own personal accountability. You mentioned the church closures during COVID. I was the member, I was a member of a synagogue. I was working in Washington for the administration, but still living. I was commuting uh, home in Indianapolis. Our synagogue there uh, closed, uh, a heavy elderly population. Then we moved outside. We had services outside. Uh, then it reopened for inside, and it was a voluntary thing. And state health authorities in a Republican state, governed by a Republican, uh, threatened to shut us down. Yeah. Tom, uh, I mean— the- Like we aren't wise enough, sophisticated enough to understand the risks that we pose to ourselves and to others. As though, Gary, I want an elderly uh, person to get sick and die, or they want their grandchildren to get— I mean, it's— it's so patronizing, so offensive. Well, in and in a moment of, of crisis, whether it's war, disease, whatever it might be, is exactly the moment when people need to be having their heart and soul fed by uh, getting together with others that share their faith to worship the God that created us. So it was the very time. I mean, you know, I would say after Pearl Harbor, that was an emergency, man. We were going to war. And, and, you know, and as we know, millions of people ended up dying. Nobody said a word about closing churches. In fact, every church was encouraged to meet, bring people together, pray, get on our knees. We can't lose this war, etc. There are so, I mean, it's just, it was completely upside down. Churches and synagogues were deemed to be non-essential, while uh, marijuana stores <laughs> and abortion clinics were kept open because they were essential. And and, and liquor stores. <clears throat> of course, yep. we had the news late this week that uh, New York Governor Kathy Hochul is now refusing to rehire the healthcare professionals that were fired due to COVID vaccine mandate non-compliance. New York is facing a terrific healthcare worker shortage. Tens of thousands of empty positions. And she refuses to hire back those people. And remember, these are the folks that were on the front lines before we had a vaccine, before we had a lot of the epidemiological studies 
that indicated who was at risk and who wasn't at risk. They put their monies where their put their money where their mouth was in the earliest days by showing up to work every day, exposing themselves, putting themselves and their families at risk, and she now is refusing to rehire them. You, you know, Tom, during the first uh, well, it's still true today, but during that first year, year and a half, nearly two years, um, the the federal government, which gets hundreds of millions of dollars for research, was not doing any of the studies that were absolutely necessary if you wanted to have a COVID policy that actually was rational. And I think that was very intentional. I mean, I remember during that, like, okay, how is this spreading? I, I would be having this thought when I was out in my driveway, you know, washing down cans from the grocery store. <laughs> It's probably you know, true, what, folks. And I'm, I'm standing in there and I'm thinking, wait a minute, they keep saying this is a disease that attacks the lungs and, and we breathe it in and it goes through our nose and our mouth. But we're also being told to, you know, wipe down counters and our groceries and all the rest. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, what, which is it? Is it being spread by surfaces? Or So every once in a while, you'd see a study. You'd see a little article about, you know, researchers discovered that. And the study would be out of Israel or out of Italy or out of, you know, some of, but never from the point. massive U.S. health bureaucracy. Great point. Great point. I was there. I worked it our first nine, ten months. Uh, of course, we dealt with COVID for about eight and a half, nine months before uh, the new guys took over. And there was precious little research case studies being done on our end. And we had to rely on these tiny samples from Sweden or Denmark or Israel that, that massively studied their populations. And again, it was another tool that Big State used to, to enhance their coercive control because they could dismiss those studies by saying, well, it's a small sample, it's a homogenous population, even though Israel is certainly not a homogenous population. I think it was purposeful. I really do. I mean, there's yeah, no, no other, I either that or it's just so sclerotic. Our bureaucracy is so utterly. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we were, we were funding the Wuhan lab, you know, <laughs> uh, but we couldn't fund things uh, that, that we needed information on. No, Tom, I think it was absolutely done in, intentionally. And remember, so many things that were asked, the answer was, we just don't know. So we have to err on the side of caution. Unless you ask them where the virus came from. Oh, we know this would not have come out of the lab. That just doesn't make any sense. It was a wet market because some Chinese guy ate a bat. Uh, and that's why people are dying all over and America's got to close all its schools. No, I mean, the whole thing is a casebook study and how power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. I'll guarantee you, Tom, that Dr. Fauci and many other people in that bureaucracy were on an adrenaline high that entire time. They were on TV every time you turned around. Every ear was was listening. Every eye was like, tell us, doctor, what do we have to do now to be safe, to survive this? Tell us, doctor. Oh, doctor, please let us know. We will do whatever you want us to do. It was it was disgusting. I, I don't know. It, uh, it's a very and, and as I said, it's a very bad sign. Not only how quickly people did that, but Tom, how quickly people, whether they realized it or not, were actually becoming part of a surveillance state. They were turning in their neighbors. They were, you know, you, people that went into a grocery store without wearing a mask would be accosted in the grocery store by others. I mean, it was, it, it got completely out it of It ripped the mask off the totalitarian impulses of at least a third of our population, and the third that's that's um, that's in power. You know, hearkening back, and we got to wrap it up. But we don't. Re you mentioned the threat of an imperialist, uh, aggressive China. We don't really need an enemy. You know, we're losing our own torpor, our own power to defend ourselves or to stand up for anything. Making matters worse. Our leaders, our establishment are demanding that we just quit monkeying around as an independent power and just sign up to the uh, joint suicide pact known as, uh, known as the Western world. Yeah, Tom, uh, as we're wrapping up and, and going out here, uh, 
uh, I, I, I want to make one comment to people that may be disturbed by what we're talking about. And it's simply this, you know, I hope everybody listening to us understands this is a moment. This is a moment. This is not 1958 and everything's hunky-dory. You know, this is something like the 1750s or maybe the 1840s and 1850s. You can pick your time frame. This is a moment. Liberty is very much in danger. And so what I would say to our average listener, who, being like most human beings, is going to forget 90% of what we say. You know, they're going to turn off after we're done, and they're going to go on and do things. Uh, folks, all men and women of, of you know, goodwill and courage, you need to come to the front lines. And I mean that figuratively. I'm not talking about, you know, rushing the Capitol building. You need to come to the front lines because your liberty is in danger. And the, the best canary in the coal mine is how many powerful forces are telling you that they have a right to raise your children that supersedes your right to raise your children. And that ought to scare the daylights out of you, whether you have children or not or grandchildren or not, because a government that thinks it can raise your children over parents will do anything and everything it wants to you. So it's a moment. It's a little scary. There's a lot at stake. And my final message is be not afraid. You are a free man. You are a free woman. You can save this constitutional republic, but you can't do it sitting on your butt you got to get out in the public square and fight back and do it now before it's too late. I can't think of a better way to end the show, so I won't. Thanks for listening. This has been the Bauer and Rose Show right here on Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. You can catch us during the week, the Bauer and Rose podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or justthenews.com, where we're, uh, where we're hosted. Have a great week, everybody. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.